0: Listening to the Potato Podcast, presented by Columbia Media Group. You could listen to past episodes on thepotatopodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you enjoy the episode, be sure to give us a like and leave a review. On today's episode, Dave joins James Baker. James Baker Farms was the cover story from the May June issue of Potato Country Magazine. He talks about the struggles of being a tenant farmer. And growing on a contract. This episode is sponsored by Syngenta Elatus.
1: Protect the perimeter of your potato crop with Elatus fungicide from Syngenta. When applied in furrow at planting, Elatus controls rhizoctonia and suppresses verticillium welt, giving your potatoes long lasting protection during early development. Talk to your local Syngenta retailer. About Elatus.
0: Always read and follow label instructions. Please check with your local extension service to ensure registration status. Syngenta supports a FIFA 2E e recommendation for suppression of verticillium wilt on potatoes in certain states.
1: Hello, listeners. Uh, thank you for joining the Potato Podcast. Today uh, we have with us uh, James Baker. And James is a tenant farmer in Moses Lake, Washington, uh, which means he farms on rented ground, and he's got some interesting perspectives on that, which we'll get into later. Um, But he was also the featured grower in the May-June issue of Potato Country. Uh, Again, very interesting article. I will put a link uh, off the the pod here so that you can read more information. But um, first, we're going to start off talking about how this season is progressing in Washington. Um, planning was late, and the weather was real bad, And but um, have you caught up from the late start, James?
2: Uh, yes, we are. Well, up here in the North Basin, we're starting to catch up. Uh, I'd say we're... I mean, you know, on the 10-year average, heat units-wise, we're right in the middle. Um, we're, you know, a couple days behind. We're within, you know, a couple days. I I know South Basin, their early planted stuff is, I mean, I don't know, 10, 12 days off. Uh, I think uh, the earlier crop's going to suffer a little more, but I think late se- mid-season's fine, and then it just depended on how late people got in the ground planting.
1: So looks like uh, it might pan out though to be a decent year.
2: Uh it, it it could. You know, that's the that's the joys of raising spuds. It it uh, it's always changing.
1: Right, that's the joy and the and the challenge, right? So um you know it, the in the potato country article, your story, you had a very unique perspective about turning a profit and sometimes having to make some sacrifices to do that. Um, and since you rent on rented, you farm on rented ground, your profit margins are very slim. According to the story, you cut inputs, maybe run some older equipment and use other cost saving methods. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to give you the, the forum now to talk about that some more.
2: Well, it's just, uh, oh man, we could talk about this all day, but, uh, you know, one of the problems that we chase is they've, they've got this neck down to where there's really just not a lot of money in it. And I, I don't know. I figure that every time you stub your toe on a field, it, it takes four fields to pay for one bad field. And uh, it, there's out of every five fields, one's always bad. So I mean, there is on paper there's some money in this game, but in reality, there's really not. We used to go on our fungicides. We just we, we would start, and then we would just apply on a calendar because we didn't want to get stuck. We didn't want to take the risk, so we just apply, apply, apply. And we raised some great spuds that way, but it's just gotten to the point where the margin's not there. So now we spend more time scouting in the field, walking the field, trying to do a better job of sneaking days off on our water, really trying to be, you know, try to never start the season off without ever getting behind. One thing I did that a lot of guys would probably disagree with is I took all soil soil moisture um, monitoring probes out of my fields. Uh, what I found is when I'd get behind and I'd be in a hurry, uh, I would re- I would look at my app and go, "Oh, well, we're okay," and I'd make calls off of that because I was behind and I wouldn't because I get I would get spread out over you know 70, 80 square miles, and uh, sometimes you just can't get everywhere, and so. I started relying on that, and I'd make mistakes because I was counting on that. So I took those out, and and I I go to every field every day, and I walk every field every day, and I've been able to cut a lot of those by having the water and everything just right. I'm able to cut a lot of those uh, applications down and use less products.
1: Yeah, so that's pretty interesting that you're uh, going back off of precision type of agriculture and relying more on scouting and and uh walking the fields.
2: Yeah, just just for me, I mean it doesn't fit for everybody, but for me, I got to where I would I would count on it and then I wouldn't get there like I should because you know, there's always there's always a problem somewhere. And I would use it as an excuse not to to get there. Or I would just, you know, uh, well, I was there yesterday and this looks fine. So I just went away from that and every field every day walking it.
1: So the um, you you grow on a contract, and um, they're processed potatoes. And in the story, you sounds like you've got some issues with the, the end price that uh, the contracts are paying the growers.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that uh, you know, especially up here in the Columbia Basin, these plants they they thrive on quality, at least the processors I deal with. They want, they want quality, 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 and they want us to be perfect all the time. And uh, at the end of the day, the money's just not there. Uh, we're not keeping up with inflation. They, uh, we're just we're being forced to cut corners, and they have the ability to pass it down and pay it. And really, they just hold it because those of us left in the game, we love it. It's what we do. We just keep doing it, and they know it. And basically, in my opinion, they're taking advantage of the fact that we're just potato growers, and that's what we like to do. And, you know, basically when we say we need more money, they're like, well, I got five of your neighbors wanting another contract, so why should we pay you more?
1: It makes it tough. Um, what what can you do? What can you do about that?
2: Well, I guess, well one, of, one of them is I think you, uh, you kind of do what I do and not just shoot for perfection all the time, try to be good enough to make a quality, but – you know, shoot for profit instead of quality.
1: And that, uh, that is, that is what I found, uh, interesting, most interesting about your, your frankness and willing to put that out there. Did, did you get any pushback from, uh, from the contractors?
2: Uh, well, I've had a little pushback this year and some setbacks, but I, that happened before this article came. So I, I my my attitude towards it hasn't been very quiet. They they kinda already know. Um uh I uh I have a habit of not keeping my mouth shut. So
1: <laughs> Well, that's why you're on the podcast right now, I guess.
2: <laughs> yep, probably getting myself in trouble again.
1: So uh that's all right. <laughs> well, all right. We'll we'll try to we'll try to do our best to get you in trouble. How about that? <laughs> we'll uh <laughs> um so you were, when we were visiting the other day, you, you were, you were telling me that you thought, um, uh, that wildfire smoke has become an issue, uh, especially in the valley there that you're having some phantom diseases. Uh, some I've, I've heard talk of, there's been more bruising, uh, in the crop. So tell us, tell us about that.
2: Yeah. It just, uh. Well, about the last three years in a row, we've had really bad smoke come in, and it, it seems to sock in, and we'll have it'll be here for a month. And it seems like every year, it seems to have a different effect on the crop. Um, but, I mean, you can see it in the field. You can. I remember I had what was it, 2017? I had a field that kind of sat down in a like in a little valley, and uh, I walked out and it one day, and uh, it was just. The smoke was so thick I couldn't hardly get back to my pickup. Just started hacking up the lung, and you're just like, well, you know, these these spuds need fresh air and sunlight. It's not if I can't even walk the field, what are they going through?
1: I don't think we know all the consequences.
2: Yeah, you know, and you know, the one year we had some stuff that looked a lot like purple top, but supposedly it wasn't purple top. Uh, I had a couple fields like that, and they kind of come in and stayed. And, it, and once the smoke left, they kind of perked back up a little bit. I did have some good luck uh, on those fields. We threw some bite aid at them, and it didn't it didn't reverse anything, but it uh, it kind of stopped the digression, and the and they kind of stayed, you know, the foliage kind of stayed about the same from when we applied it. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that helped out. Um, and then last year, a lot of people's, bru- well, everybody's bruise free uh, in our area was was really low, and maybe it's another factor, but it. You know, there's not a lot of other things to add it up to, and you and we know the smokes affected them.
1: And that's, I mean, that's not going away. Some of the, some of the wildfires are, are uh, because of the drought in the West. You know, the record droughts and that kind of thing. But uh, what do you, what do you think on these?
2: I, I, I think a lot of it is is necessarily not. Well, I mean, droughts. There's always droughts. Uh, I think it more has to do with. Uh, they're not, we're not grazing as heavy as we used to. We're not logging as heavy as we used to. Um, there's a lot of things that, that, that I just don't think the forests are being managed the way they used to be. And uh, when a fire does take off, or, I mean, they're always going to have fires. But they used not to be these mondo fires because they run out of fuel and quit. Um, if they graze down, it doesn't matter how dry it is.
1: What are you suggesting here?
2: Well, what I think needs to happen, and it's not going to happen, is we need to more grazing, more logging. Like get back to managing our forests.
1: Less fuel, less fire.
2: Less fuel, less fire. And, then and, and, you know, graze areas so that when a fire does come, because you never know where the fire is going to be, but if we graze certain sections really heavily or log certain sections, uh, when it burns up to that point, they can get ahead of it. You know, have some natural fire lines in there, right? But I don't
1: know. I I don't know how we accomplish that. farmer,
2: <laughs> I don't know, but that's just my observation.
1: Yeah. All right. Um. So, what about um, nematode populations in your area? Do you, what are you you finding finding a lot, aren't you? What, what are you doing
2: about it? Yeah, we're get, we're getting more and more nematodes in the area. It's getting to where where I'm renting and dancing around. We used to get away with you know 15 gallons of telone. now it's getting to pretty much if we do telone, it's 20 gallons and then anywhere we don't do telone, if we you know we get a sample and we're not seeing anything we keep by date in the budget and then we're sampling later that, well we've gone to where i even have stuff that we've treated had problems so now we're we're uh, soil sampling we start soil sampling in July August for nematode out in the field and then if we've got Anything that shows up, we'll start doing a Vite program.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, ongoing battle um, in our area as well in the Idaho area. A lot of them. So, um, so basically, Telone is what you're saying, and Vite for what you've been using.
2: Telone, Vite, what I've been using. I've also switched. Uh, I'm. I haven't been hardly using any VAPAM. I, I've switched to Strike 100. Um, I've also used some Strike 80, but I. Uh, so I like the I like Telone Strike at the same time because because I am a tenant farmer. A lot of times we wind up picking ground up last minute. So I do a lot of spring fumigating, and I think that the that uh, the Strike is the is the way to go with that. You get back in the field the reentries quicker, uh, one time through the field. And uh, I have I've had great success. I haven't had any major bird problems or anything like that where I've used Strike. Um, I think it's a good product. And uh, that's kind of the way I've switched my program.
1: What other tips or insight do you have for growers listening to this?
2: Oh, man. Uh, I, for me, biggest key is, like I, like I said earlier, walk the field every day. Got to be in the field every day. It's, uh, I think we got to remember that it's, it's not just a science, it's an art. And uh, I like to walk the fields and listen to them. You just, you're in them every day, you don't get surprises. And I think we a lot of times we get in hurries and we just don't we don't make times to be there. If you if you're there every day, you're gonna know what's going on.
1: So better management, better decision making through observation is what you're saying, I guess.
2: Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of time we we kinda got uh hung up. Everybody wanted these magic foo poo I call them magic foo foo juices or snake oils to fix our problems. But I mean if you don't if the ground's not good if the weather's not right, if your timing's not right, and Mother Nature's not there, it it doesn't matter what magic foo foo juice you put on there. If you gotta have the basics it gotta be right. Kinda I that's what I did. I just kinda took it back to basics and uh if when I get the basics mastered, I guess I'll move on to fancier programs.
1: Right on. And then as far as the the profitability goes, I want you to touch on that once more and there may be a disconnect for some people listening to this to say sacrifice some quality for better profits and that's what i find the most fascinating about what you're doing just give me a couple more examples of what how you're doing that
2: well for like for one example i had a field a few years back uh they were umatillas. it was a home run uh just knocked it out of the park they were going direct to plant going Delivered to plant after we ran them through the eliminator and everything, transloading them. I delivered 39 and a half ton humatillas uh, to the plant. Quality was great. Everything was off the charts. Did great. Just should have been a home run. At the end of the day, added it all up, I lost $15 an acre on that field.
0: Wow. We wow. spent
2: so much money raising the perfect crop, there was nothing left over. Right. And so I, that's so you don't have to you't don't, you don't have to I'd have been better off to have spent you know five, six hundred dollars an acre less and got a lower yield. Uh, and so it's a balance, right? So I mean it comes across wrong and it sounds weird, but it's it's finding the balance between uh, what do I have to spend. And like one of the things that I did wrong on that crop, it was my first year raising directs, I was doing my, my normal fungicide program, my late blight program, my, everything that I would do to make them, you know, rid a mill and all the other stuff to make them store better. But they're going direct. So cut all that stuff out. and that, You know, that's my fault. Uh, but there, there's, just, uh, there's just little things. you got to know what, you're, what variety you're raising and what you're doing and, and uh, figure out which corners you can cut to save costs and which ones you can't. Because sometimes you can't. you got to spend the money. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. But uh, sometimes, you know, that last pass of fertilizer, is it going to actually, is this this going to return? Uh, I guess I was kind of always raised, we just did whatever the potatoes needed. You know, if we thought they needed it, we gave it to them. Uh, I've gone away from that. If it doesn't, if it's not going to pay me to do it, I'm not going to do it.
1: So, yeah, so very interesting. Keep keep an eye on the bottom line and make sure what you're doing is actually going to pay off. Um, yeah. And
2: I, I mean, go ahead. when you say it that way, you're like, well, of course it's a business. Why wouldn't you do that? But at least in our operation, we got caught up and we're trying to raise really, you know, we were just doing whatever it took to to raise a great crop and thought that was going to pay us back. And it didn't work out. Cause no matter what you do, it, it doesn't, it, you spend a bunch of money to raise you know, a perfect crop. If it's 105 degrees for three weeks straight with 40-mile-an-hour winds and smoke rolls in the last week of July, it, it doesn't matter how you, – you're not going to – you're not going to get the perfect crop. And so you it's kind of, you know, just managing – not spending so much that when you do have something you can't control, knock you down, you can survive it. Because the problem is if you if you shoot for the perfect crop and you don't get it, you lose so much money you can't survive.
1: And you've had challenges uh, every year according to the article is is a question for you and so you're one of those guys that are really in the front lines and battling it out so we appreciate your perspective on this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what uh, that's what I've that's I guess that's where I'm at on things nowadays. So
1: you talk about margins, uh, in, um, in the article and because you are renting your ground and you, you don't have, you're not a multi-generational farmer where the ground is paid off. You've got costs that some of these guys can't even relate to. Um, how does that, how does that work? I mean, is that's tough, makes it tough for you, right?
2: makes it tough and and, uh and that's one of the reasons why i think i get a little more frustrated with the price than other guys is is uh you know if you've got a guy that has paid for ground he's operating on his own money or a lot of his own money or mostly paid for ground and he's renting a little bit and he can he push it across there in in our area you know a guy with an operation like that you're they're talking they've got a 600 to 800 dollar advantage on someone like me. And so if you just take a thousand acres for easy money, you're 600 to eight. They're making, when I'm breaking even, they they think they're turning a profit of 600 to 800,000 in a year. What's frustrating to me is at the end of the day, if they'd rent the ground out, they'd be making the same amount of money. And then they'd have all their, their uh, operating capital. They could go spend on other investments and make more money. They'd make more money, not farming. and uh, but they are turning a profit and so and that's where we keep getting beat up is at the end of the day you know they've got sheds they've got employees they've got you know all this infrastructure and they don't want to give it up and I understand that I wouldn't if I was in the same situation but the hard part is is that that's where we keep losing in negotiating tables because they know that we're just going to keep doing it and that those guys I mean, it, there, it sounds like big numbers, but at the end of the day, to keep to be sustainable and to be able to pass it on to the next generation and keep things going and alive, uh, these current uh, potato prices aren't going to do it.
1: Right. And then your challenge is just expanded um, to the nth degree with having to pay that, uh, that rental fee.
2: Well, you're paying rent, you're paying interest, you're, you know... I, I've got a little. I finally have a little tiny shop that I rent, but for ten years I just ran out of the back of my pickup. Didn't even have a shop. We just fixed stuff in the landlord's corners on the edge of the field, and and so some stuff has to go to town. That a lot of guys have the infrastructure to fix at their place, which is that's all paying your dues, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's got to pay off sometime. Right. There's not the when when an established operation has a bad year. There's 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 equity and a margin to pull back on when I have, every year is a make or break. There is no no equity or margin because we're building it as we go.
1: All right, well, uh, James Baker, we want to um, thank you for taking the time with us today. I should uh, mention he's out driving around and scouting fields right now as we're as we're conducting this interview. So um, thank you again for your time and um, good luck with this year's crop and in future.
2: All right, thank you, appreciate it. All right, have a good day.
0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only, and solely only those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of Columbia Media Group or its affiliates.